All right, well, we're gonna jump into the message this morning. We're wrapping up this short little four-part series we did on godly contentment. Um, we've covered a lot of ground in those few short weeks. And now this morning, we're gonna talk about contentment as it relates to our finances. Contentment related to our finances. It's such a, a key thing. The scripture addresses it. And listen, if you're anything like me, if, if there's an aspect of my life that can bring me anxiety, um, it can be finances. And so, Let's step into this together this morning. So how about we pray one more time and invite the Lord to speak to us on this issue. And so, God, we thank you that, that you are a generous God. And, and Lord, there are times where it might feel like my lack is what I'm most aware of. But God, in truth, you are generous. You provide, you care for us. And Lord, the reality is, all that we have belongs to you anyway. And so, Lord, would you help us to learn from you how to steward well what you've given us? And may we become more and more generous like our Father in heaven. And so would you guide us into this this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In fact, the way we kicked off the series was just with this one short verse where Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, that he's poured into a lot. And, you know, in these couple letters to Timothy, it gives him a lot of direction on, on how to guard his own heart in life, walking with the Lord, and how to guide and shepherd a community of believers. And so in the midst of that, um, the verse we kicked off this series with was just 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, where Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he goes on, and we're going to spend some time this morning unpacking more specifically, he's talking about finances in this context. And so let's continue on with his encouragement here. Verse 7 now. So if godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Our beginning and ending, they're similar and they're set. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And so Paul is giving him a biblical framework that we can see over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament about the, the need for us to learn to have contentment in our finances. Guys, I, I have been in seasons where I feel like things are, are easier financially and, and my needs are met and provided for. And I've been in seasons where it's like, you know, we're hanging on by the skin of our teeth just trying to get by. I've been in both. But rarely have I ever felt like I've got more than enough. <laughs> you know, even when I'm in a pretty content place, I'm still kind of aware of like, well, man, we really need this. We could really use this. Or, gosh, we're kind of okay right now, but if this goes wrong, we're gonna be in trouble. And the reality is God wants us to have a sense of peace and settledness in our finances. All the things we've talked about up to this point, you know, it's, it's been a little bit more internal. You know, peace in my mind, peace from anxiety, peace in relationships. Well, God wants us to have peace in our finances. You know, Jesus talked about this. I mean, think about this. One of the most famous moments in his life is the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, even people who've never really read much of the Bible are aware that there was a Sermon on a Mount somewhere. Um, and so Jesus taught this sermon. And guys, so much of it was speaking about how we can 
operate in this life and experience the life God has for us. And a huge chunk of that message, he talked about treasure and he talked about anxiety and he connected them together. He connected them together. And so he talked to us about things that we were singing this morning. He, he talked to us about paying attention to just the world around us. Um, now, right now, when I go outside, the only thing I really notice is the cicadas that are dive bombing me at my house. Does anybody in here live near a spot where they are very prevalent? I'm realizing that I've got friends in the area that are like not having much of an encounter with them at all. And now I'm kind of jealous of you. Um, but they're, they're all over at our house. I was mowing the grass yesterday. And like, I don't know if it's the hum of the lawnmower or what it is. Like they're just, they were pelting me left and right. I mean, I just feel like I was batting them off. So that's all I'm really noticing when I go outside right now. But if you can see past the cicadas, there is a lot of beauty this time of year. There's flowers that are springing up. There, there's birds everywhere. There's bees. And see, Jesus told us when we're getting anxious about our own ability to, to take care of ourselves, to provide for ourselves, in our striving in this life, he says, slow down and just look around you. Look at the lilies of the field. God clothes them in beauty. How much more does he love you? He'll clothe and provide for you. Look at the birds of the air. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're getting that early, they're that early bird getting that worm like right now this morning and they'll worry about tomorrow's worm tomorrow. He provides for them. Look, look how he feeds them. How much more will he feed us? The reality is God loves us. He sees us. He recognizes our need. And so much of what we get anxious about, we, we've taken our eyes off of the one who's got us. See, that's what's really going on. We've taken our eyes off of the one who has us. Our peace is found in him. And so Paul's saying, hey, slow down. There might be other things that we want, that we desire, that we would like to have, but the reality is there is great gain to be experienced in our lives when we receive contentment from God. Y'all, that is a direct contradiction to the striving in this life to have more. When we're striving for financial success to provide for us the very peace and contentment we are hoping it will provide, God's saying you won't get it there. Instead, you can find that peace in me. Guys, I'll be honest, this is, this is something I am still learning and I am still growing in. I have over the course, course of my life. And so I, I don't want to present this like I've got this all together and I never stress about money and I'm anxiety free. But I also will say I have experienced radical peace from God as it relates to our finances. In fact, some of the most meaningful times in my life with, with me and Amy, my wife, we've found in moments of great financial stress. Um, early on in ministry, I was working a full-time job and volunteering at our church back in Franklin doing youth ministry. And I would use my vacation time to go to summer camps and mission retreats. And we just, we, we loved that life. We loved what we were doing. You know, we were paying the bills, but it was always kind of tight. 
And so um, I, the very first mission trip I was ever gonna take our high school kids on, um, I'm in my mid-20s. And for some crazy reason, a bunch of parents trusted me and a couple of other adults to take their, you know, it was like 15, 18 high school kids to Ecuador. And so the night before we leave, Amy comes to me in tears and she goes, oh my gosh, I don't even wanna put this on you, but I don't know what to do. I, I wasn't thinking straight and I paid a bill way too early that I wasn't supposed to pay and we're overdrawn by like $200. Like we're negative 200 and you're leaving and you're not, your paycheck doesn't hit for another week. And like, I have an empty bank account while you're out of town. Like, and I'm, I am stressed, I'm anxious. I'm like, I'm trying not to be upset with her because it was an accident, but like, I'm already feeling the weight of I'm responsible for all these kids. And now I'm going, man, I can't even like take care of my own household. What am I doing going across the world to take care of these kids? Like I was stressed to the max. And so, you know, we're anxiously talking, what do we do, what do we do? And so it's like, well, maybe we could ask this person for a little help. And we're kind of kind of strategizing that. So I get up the next morning, it's super early. Like we did like a 5 a.m. arrival at the Nashville airport to make our early morning flight. And so, you know, I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes and, Five o'clock in the morning, we've got the kids gathered around and their parents have shown up and we all pray together before the trip. And we finish praying and so everybody's job is to go find, find their kind of people that they're supposed to be going through the lines with and start security. And, and my pastor comes over and he takes me aside and he goes, hey man, I just want you to know, I'm so proud of you. And his, one of his kids was gonna be on this trip. And like, I, I trust you with these kids. You're doing a great job. And he goes, I want you to know when you get back, there's a $5,000 bonus coming to you. <laughs> of course, I immediately grabbed my phone and raced to call my wife and give her the good news. Guys, that, that is the sort of stuff God does to take care of his kids. Some of our lowest moments, this was like one of the most stressful moments of my life and God just did this thing to go, I've got you. Now listen, I've been plenty, in plenty of other hard financial situations and didn't get the $5,000 check, okay? This isn't a, this is not, and if you ever hear me preaching this, head out the doors. This is not one of those like, well, if we just give, we're gonna get a whole lot, you know, and that health and wealth gospel. Like, I don't, I don't believe in that. But I do believe God loves and takes care of his kids. And so there is a contentment, whether we have much or little, that God wants to pour into our hearts and lives. And so I want to give us just a little picture of, of, a, of a warning, the sort of thing that can rip us off from that. And so if we continue on here, Paul goes from giving us this encouragement to receive contentment. And now he gives a warning about what steals our contentment. And so picking right up now, verse nine, the very next verse. But those who desire, can y'all say desire? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money, can y'all say love? Awesome. I usually don't do this. I usually don't make y'all talk like this, but 
desire, love. Are you seeing this? He's not saying money's bad. He's not saying having money's bad. Desire, love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving. All right, I won't make you say craving. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Desire, love, craving. Right there in just a handful of verses. Let me give you a sense of what these words mean. The word desire there, it means to will deliberately. Like I am, I am deliberately pursuing. I have a purpose. I am, I am minded a certain way. So, so my aim, my pursuit is I want to achieve this level of, of satisfaction, this level of financial success. It's my aim. Does that make sense to you guys? It's my aim. It's what I'm after. Um, it even involves the word affection, like desire is there because it's almost an affection for it. Like I'm in love with the idea of reaching this place, this level of attainment or success. That's what desire means. Love of money, that love of money, we have it as like a, a three-word phase. It's one idea. It's one word. And really the word behind that is greed. It's greed. And its closest synonym is coveting. And so again, it's, it's an overwhelming desire for money and it's often rooted in looking around, not at the lilies of the field, not at the birds of the air, looking around at the Joneses, right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses. It's, it's, it's coveting. Man, if I could just have this, if I could just get there, man, if I could just be in that place, that would be great. And it's, it, it becomes our focus and our aim. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting financial peace and stability. But when it becomes an aim, it becomes an idol. Y'all remember where we started? That thing which steals our peace exposes our idols. If the thing that's constantly robbing, stealing my peace is something related to my finances, some pursuit that's there, it might be an indication that there's an idol there. It might be an indication that that's where my desire is aimed. I, I have found very few people in my life that go, you know what my sin and struggle is? It's greed. Almost nobody thinks it's their struggle. Now, what we can identify is other people who have greed. <laughs> We're pretty good at that, you know? I can identify them. Maybe I know some of them by name. Maybe some of them I just see on the tabloids, but like, I'm pretty sure I know who's greedy. The truth is living in the culture we live, in the society we live, you know, as believers, there might be some other sins in the scripture that we go, well, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. But maybe we're blind to the fact that we worship money or really it's not money itself, like I'm worshiping the green. It's what I'm looking to money to provide. I'm looking for my money to provide for me what I should be trusting him only to provide for me. That sense of stability, peace, rest, it only comes from him. 
And when, when money does meet those needs, it's only temporary. It doesn't last. And if you need evidence of that, just look at how many people have plenty and yet they are, they feel stuck. They don't feel satisfied. There, there's so much like depression and mental health issues and dissatisfaction among some of the wealthiest because they, they reached that place they thought would meet all their needs and then realize that didn't do it. They're, they're discovering this warning the hard way. And then I love this, the last word, craving. It literally means to stretch oneself out in order to grasp. Like I'm, I'm just stretching, stretching just to get my hands on that. If I could just get there. You ever felt like that? I have. Content or craving? Striving or rest? That's, that's, that's the issue. And so I just, if you don't hear anything else this morning, we'll get into a little bit more here, but if you don't hear anything else this morning, I would just encourage you to slow down and go, God, you know, we sang these songs about consuming fire this morning. Lord, is there anything in me that I am holding on to, that I'm putting my trust in that's apart from you? Is there any way where, where greed has crept in, covetousness has crept in? God, is there any sense where, without even realizing it, I've really started to make this an aim in my life? And God, that place belongs to you. You're the one I reach to. And you've got me, you lift me up, you carry me. Just invite him to reveal that. And listen, he will, in a loving way, he'll burn that stuff off for our benefit. We can exchange that sense of striving for a sense of contentment, but it, it's gonna be found in him not reaching some level of success financially. All right, so I wanna look at a picture of this. Um, anybody in here familiar with the story of a man named Zacchaeus, right? Shortest guy in the Bible, Although I do remember hearing a joke one day about the shortest guy in the Bible is actually Nehemiah. I don't know if y'all have heard of that guy. Okay, you know I have to work it in every now and then. Yes, I went there. All right, so Zacchaeus, right? He's this short guy. That's kind of what he's known for. But let's look at this, this quick little encounter that Jesus has with this man named Zacchaeus. So it's found in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass by. So Zacchaeus was interested in catching a glimpse and I just, I find this interesting about him. You know, he realizes I'm stuck in this crowd of people. There's something I want that they also want. So how am I gonna get it? I'm gonna race on ahead and climb up this tree to beat him there. Well, that's probably what he's been doing his whole life. Figuring out, how can I get a leg up? How can I race on ahead? How can I get out there and get ahead to get that thing? 
And so he races up the street and his only purpose is to catch a glimpse. Did you notice that? He just wants to see who this Jesus guy is. I'm curious about him. Let me see him. And so he climbs up to catch a glimpse. Verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus was willing to settle for a glimpse, but Jesus had much bigger plans. He wanted to be a guest in his house. I I just wonder how often, as it relates to our finances, that we just sort of intend to leave Jesus on the sidelines. Or maybe we just kind of give a glimpse like, well, like this Dave Ramsey guy, he has some pretty good stuff. Maybe there's a couple of things I can get from that to help me in my finances. But like what Jesus wants to do is he wants us to invite him in. In fact, he's inviting himself in. Hey, I'd like to come to your house. Will you come down and let me in? Or do you just want a glimpse of me as I walk by? I think far too often we, we hold him at arm's length as it relates to our finances. I've got this. I kind of know where I'm heading with this, what I want to do with this. And I'm worried if I let you start talking into this, you know, then I'm gonna start to hear about all kinds of stuff that needs to change. And I don't know if I'm up for that. I mean, I'm just waiting for when the preacher's getting to like telling me I need to start giving more money. Like, oh, just me? Okay. <laughs> right? Like, if, will I let him in? But see, Jesus doesn't want us to settle for just a glimpse. I wanna be a guest in your home. And so he says, Zacchaeus, I'm planning on going to your house today. I love this, verse six. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now in a minute, we're gonna get a glimpse at a turning point in Zacchaeus's life, but I actually think this was the turning point. He, he paid attention to the personal invitation of Jesus and he said, I want that. I want that. I've been racing to get ahead my whole life. I wonder how behind he even felt. Like the fact that the scripture's pointing out his small stature, that had to have affected him in some way. And so in his striving to get ahead, and now he's just trying to catch a glimpse of this guy, Jesus, he's heard about. And Jesus is looking at him personally and saying, Zacchaeus, I want to come in close to your house, to your life. And Zacchaeus hears this information, this invitation, and says, That is what I'm looking for. And he hurries up and he comes down and he receives him joyfully. Friends, that's the move we've got to make. Stop my striving, stop my trying to climb up the ladder of success and instead see Jesus inviting me into a new way of thinking, inviting himself into my life in this way. And will I respond to him by humbling myself and receiving him joyfully? That's what Zacchaeus did. Verse seven. And when they saw it, the crowd, right? They've kind of finally caught up. They saw it. They were thrilled for Zacchaeus. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They're frustrated. And they know who Zacchaeus really is. And they're like, Jesus is going to hang out with that sinner? Verse eight. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, while we are out there striving for something, Jesus is striving too. He's hunting us down. He's seeking us as we're seeking peace, success, whatever, whatever it is we're looking for there. And he's doing that because he realizes we're lost. We're lost. When I get wrapped up and consumed with trying to provide for all my needs myself, when I get wrapped up and consumed in turning to financial success to provide for me, I am truly lost. But he's seeking us with his invitation. And and do you see the progression here, guys? Zacchaeus goes from a glimpse, then Jesus gets brought in as a guest But see, Jesus didn't even just intend to stay there as a guest. Ultimately, when Jesus showed up at Zacchaeus' house, he became Lord. Zacchaeus called him Lord. And then he lined up his finances along with the rest of his life to making Jesus Lord. The reality is that requires sacrifice on our part. But what I think we often miss at God's invitation to be Lord in our lives, is that that sacrifice is also met with salvation. Guys, it can be really freeing to not have to be the one in charge of making sure it all works. Now, I realize at times my kids might catch a little bit of conversation Amy and I might have, but in reality, they're not stressed about if food's gonna be on the table tonight. They're not worried about how dad's gonna pay for that trip to Dollywood in a couple weeks. They just know they're going to Dollywood. (laughs) They just know we're having pizza tonight. Like, guys, we can choose to say, Lord, I'm gonna stop trying to be the man, be the woman that has to make it happen. I'm gonna let you come be Lord right here in my home, in my finances. I'm gonna let you be the provider and I'm gonna learn to trust you. And salvation comes, freedom comes, new life comes. See, here's the reality. We ultimately see Zacchaeus become really generous. And if we view generosity as a way to like earn God's favor or, you know, well, I owe this now, we're missing it. See, the the people around Zacchaeus let us in on something. While they might've been wrong about Jesus, right, because they're kind of judging like Jesus would go to that guy's house. They were right about Zacchaeus. He was a sinner. He was in need of saving. He was a mess. But Zacchaeus recognized this about himself too. When we have a true encounter with the generosity of God, the natural response will then be our own generosity. When I have received what he lavishly gives, it frees me to be more generous because money doesn't own me any longer or striving for that doesn't own me any longer. I'm provided for, I'm cared for 
by my heavenly father. And he has been so lavish and generous towards me. Well, I can't help but respond in kind. It's like a natural outflowing of that. His response was was gratitude. See, true freedom, the salvation Jesus was offering Zacchaeus was freedom from striving, craving, and greed. And in place of it, it led to peace with God. It led to peace with man. The way way Zacchaeus actually went around and made some wrongs right, it led to peace with man. And it led to joyful generosity. The word joy was already used to describe Zacchaeus. This is... Zacchaeus was living out, understanding what David the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter four, verses five through eight. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. See, it's about trust. What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in financial stability? Am I trusting in a really good job that provides? Am I I trusting in X, Y, and Z? Or am I trusting the Lord? Verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Look at at David's description here, verse seven. You put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Friends, here's the reality. We have been talking about financial peace and contentment for four weeks. Because the reality is our entire life lines up properly when our heart lines up properly. This whole series about contentment, it's about worship. What my life is aimed at is what I'm worshiping. And if I'm aimed at anything other than him, I can't help but experience disappointment, anxiety, and discontent because nothing else in this life is meant to satisfy the way our creator is. He is the only one that brings ultimate satisfaction. He's the only one that brings ultimate security and ultimate peace. And so this whole thing is about learning to go, God, I'm called to aim at you to worship you, to trust you. And so if I'm anxious in my relationships, if they're in turmoil, if something's broken there, God, I'm just gonna entrust that to you. Help me to forgive. Help me to repent. God, reconcile this relationship. Over here, if my mind is is anxious and worrying and I'm in turmoil about a great variety of things, God, let me come to you and go, Lord, I'm handing all those things over to you. I can't fix them anyways. And so God, instead, my mind learns to meditate on you and your word and who you are and and you bring peace where there's been anxiety. Or over here, if, if I'm pursuing comfort, if I'm consuming, uh, pursuing certain experiences in life or a certain level of achievement to have peace, to have satisfaction, to have joy, if that's the aim of my life and it's, it's, it's ripping me off, God, I've got to stop aiming at how I can provide for myself and look to you, my provider. All of this 
is about being in proper alignment with our God who loves us because he is enough. Is this making sense, friends? And so we bring him into our finances. We bring him into our relationships. We bring him into all these aspects of life. And as we worship him, probably before we even realize it's happening, as we worship him, as we put our trust in him, he begins to substitute all those places where we're anxious and we're discontent and we're striving and we're worrying. And slowly he begins to replace them with his presence. And in his presence is joy, is peace, is contentment. All right, I wanna leave you with this. What is our worship response? Well, it's probably obvious at this point, right? Each, each week at these, we've looked at like a worship response, a spiritual discipline that helps us walk out in a tangible way what we're talking about. So how do we walk out giving God control over our finances? We become givers. We become givers. We practice that. The, the biblical tithe is, is a, a starting point and an anchor point for this. And so I briefly want to give you a couple thoughts on this. See, what tithing does, it's not just like, it's not just that I'm supposed to, although there's a lot of scripture that teaches us to do that. It's not just about it it meets the needs of other people, although it does that. The reality of tithing is it reminds us and aligns us with a greater truth. Every single thing I have is his. He's a king. We are stewards. A steward is given a realm that they are responsible for, to look after, to take care of, to protect, to manage. But a steward does that. They're a representative. They do it on behalf of the one who really owns it, the king. And so the reality is, financially, it's the same thing I was already talking about. We're we're called to steward our relationships. We're called to steward our heart. We're called to steward our home, our children. We're called to steward our finances. It all belongs to him. And so what tithing does is it gives me a practical, tangible reminder that Lord, when I'm saying this 10% goes back to you, it is a often painful reminder that God, all that I have is yours anyways. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you what's due you. And here's what I've experienced in my own life as I've walked this out. Like, it's been hard. There've been plenty of times where I'm going, man, the the little bit of margin we need, it's right there in that tithe check. (laughs) And there's been temptation over the years to go, man, it would be easy to compromise there to meet this practical need. But the, the truth is that discipline reminds me this is all his anyways. And it teaches me to align my whole finances around him. God, how can I, how can I give? How can I save? How can I spend properly? How can I care for what you've given me? It it aligns us with him. And so it's a discipline that's beneficial. So here's a couple thoughts towards giving or tithing. Second Corinthians chapter nine, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church about money that they are giving to help support the church. And in this conversation or in this, in this letter, picking up in verse six, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse seven, 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, there's a lot in there. The, the whole concept behind becoming giving generous people is understanding the principle of sowing and reaping. And it's, it's not what is often taught in the church. It's not, if I sow here financially, I'm gonna reap here financially. It's not that. It's, it's understanding that what I sow into is what will be grown. If I am sowing into God's eternal kingdom, then the fruit that is produced is eternal and lasting. When I choose to sow my, myself, really, when I choose to sow what God has given me into another life, you know, when I come alongside somebody, I walk with them, I share Jesus with them, maybe for the first time. Or I'm, I'm, I'm helping disciple somebody in their walk with the Lord. I'm pouring into my kids. When I'm pouring into someone's life, I'm touching something eternal. I'm making an internal investment. When I align my finances with eternal principles, I'm investing in his eternal kingdom. I mean, maybe I will experience some financial success this side of heaven, but that ain't the point. I'm sowing into that which lasts eternally. And so Paul says this is an issue of sowing and reaping. And so if we get that, then what we do is we decide out of our heart what we're gonna give. And he says not reluctantly and not under compulsion. Do y'all hear that? Like not, not reluctantly, not I have to, somebody's making me. Like compulsion means you're being guilted into it. There is a reason why I almost never talk about money here. Like, I, I don't want to be the church that's just talking people into giving all the time. But I do want to teach biblical truth that God wants all of us. And that includes our finances. And that there is something wonderful and life-giving when our whole life is aligned with him, including our finances. It does something. And when I learn more and more in my life to to align it with him and his eternal kingdom, there, there is nothing that's more life-changing than that and the, the peace that comes. And so in every aspect of my life, learning to do this more and more. And so what's, what's he finished by saying? God loves a cheerful giver. Like, like joy is meant to be produced here. Okay, why? Why does that produce joy? Verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, giving and generosity, it goes beyond money and our generosity is rooted in his generosity first. His grace towards me affects every area of my life. And so I'm receiving his generosity. I'm receiving his grace. It's changing my marriage. It's changing my relationships. It's teaching me to have a healthier view of my finances and it's bringing peace and freedom and that produces joy. It changes me. Verses nine through 11, we'll wrap up with this. As it is written, he has distributed freely. This is talking about God, his character. He has distributed freely. 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It's he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I'm not sowing financially to reap financially. I'm sowing financially. It changes me at a core level. It brings me into right living. It aligns me with something that is true and accurate that changes me. Not only am I trusting in him and it's him that governs my life, but he's also inviting me to participate with him. The God who is generous allows me to participate in that generosity. And I get to come alongside of him to bless others. My pastor who decided on that day, having no idea what was going on with me financially to say, I wanna bless you with this. I I know without a doubt, God was talking to me that day through my pastor. And whether my pastor even realized it fully or not, he was getting to participate with a generous God to share generosity to somebody in need. See, when, when we fix our aim on him, not only are we satisfied in him, he rubs off on us. We become more like him. We become joyful, generous people. We become generous with our time. We become generous with one another. We extend more grace to each other. We forgive more easily. And yes, it trickles down into our finances. When I recognize his generosity and I choose to live generously, it changes me at a heart level. And I become more like my God, my father, who himself is a generous giver. Because I'm stewarding his stuff. So I want to steward it the way he would. What would he do with my bank account if he was here? That's a really good question to ask him. Is this making sense to you guys this morning? All right, I've talked enough. Y'all get it. I want to close by just reading this verse over us and I'm going to pray. I'm not even going to explain the verse. I think it speaks for itself. I'm going to read it and then let's pray. Hebrews 13, five through six. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God, we, th- we thank you for the peace that you offer us. God, I acknowledge that this has been one of the parts of my life that has brought the most anxiety. God, there's also times where I have just entrusted my financial stability to give me joy and peace. God, I just acknowledge that. And so, Lord, my, my prayer for myself this morning and for my friends, Lord, is that we would learn to lay aside that striving, that craving, aiming for something that cannot satisfy. God, would you teach us to be content with little or much? Would you teach us to be content because we're trusting in you? Lord, may we recognize your great generosity towards us. May we recognize our place as stewards of what you've given us. 
Lord, I pray like Zacchaeus, wherever we're kind of at in the spectrum of involving you in our finances, God, if we're just sort of barely glimpsing at you and not really inviting you in, Lord, I pray that we'd, we'd bring you in closer to be a guest. Or even better, we'd hand over the controls to you and let you be king, let you be the Lord in our life. May we worship you and find true peace, true joy, and true contentment in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Um, I wanna just leave you with one quick thought and I'll dismiss you guys. Um, we, we did a series back in 2018 for four or five weeks um, on giving and covered a lot of ground in it. You can look it up on our website, but in my notes, like we post these online when we post the sermon midweek and in my notes, I put four or five extra pages in there that gives a lot of scriptures where um, like throughout God's word that talk about finances and, and how, how our finances can align with God's word and his direction. So there's scripture about that in there. Um, so there's just some extra resources for you guys if you wanna look into any of that, all right? So we love y'all. Y'all have a great week. Don't forget, mark your calendars for our brunch in a few weeks um, and we'll see y'all real soon. Have a great week.